Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. habits do you have that aren't really working for you? For as long as I can remember, I've been a teeth grinder. You know what I mean? It's part of how I think I work through the stress in my life. I think it's probably also how I hold on to the stress in my life. But every night I just am grinding my teeth. And that's probably why for many years my dentist was telling me, you really need to get a night mouth guard because it's been causing problems. Right, some tooth damage and jaw ache and pain and headaches. And, and so a few years ago, I decided to give it a try. I you know, got the mouth guards that you need to boil and they'll form properly to your teeth. And you know, it was fine. I had played football growing up, so I knew how to do this. I boiled it and let it cool just a little bit. And you bite down on it. And I got it formed and I was starting to use it. And a few days in, I'm like, okay, I'm getting used to this, starting this new habit. And then our dog ate it. I know it sounds like dog ate my homework, right? No, but this has really happened. And I was really mad. You know, because I was really starting to, to f- form this new habit. I was trying to find a new pattern. Well, fortunately, it was a two-pack, so I reformed it, you know, started all over again, and sure enough, a few days in, the dog eats it again. Now, sh- fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, right? I, I, I mean, I got to own this. And so, of course, in my shame, what did I do? Well, I gave up. I just didn't wear it anymore. So this didn't help my bad habit, though, did it? I kept grinding. And actually, in this past year, my dentist has really been on me and said, it's time. you really have to do something about this. And so finally, after Christmas, I got the new kind that you don't actually have to form with boiling water, and it takes up a lot less space in the mouth and more comfortable. And I was going strong for a couple, you know, almost three weeks maybe. And then my wife, Abby, and I went to New York City for a night, and I forgot to take it with me. Done. Habit broken. Right? It is amazing. How easily new habits can fall apart, isn't it? And now it's like a daily struggle to remember to do it. I find I have my head on my pillow most nights, and I'm like, oh, I forgot it again. What am I going to do? Am I going to get out of bed and get it, or am I going to just stay nice and warm under these sheets? <laughs> habits are powerful, aren't they? They can be hard to start. They can be hard to stop. Some habits are good for us. Some habits we know aren't really working for us. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning, this next message in our sermon series that we're calling Certain in the Uncertainty, the Nature of Faith. Hebrews 11.1 says, faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. This whole series is based on that idea that faith is the key that unlocks certainty in our lives when everything else is uncertain. So in this series, we're learning about life and faith through a man named Abraham, at least a part of his life, because we're walking through Genesis chapters 18 through 22. And so today, we're thinking about the place of habits in our faith, in our life, habits that can lead us toward 
or away from certainty. And so we're going to read from Genesis chapter 20. I invite you, if you'd like, you can follow along on the screen. But let's listen for God's word for us this morning. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her. So he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience. And so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all of his officials, and when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, what have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me in my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what was your reason for doing this? Abraham replied, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham, and he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, my land is before you. Live wherever you like. To Sarah, he said, I'm giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female slaves so that they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let us pray. Heavenly Father, May you add your blessing to the reading of your word. May we hear what is truly your word and nothing else this morning. May your word endure and may you, by your spirit, take your word to shape us. Increase our faith for this uncertain world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, since the last time we saw Abraham... He's moved, and anyone who has ever moved knows that moving is incredibly stressful. Right, Abby, my wife, and I have actually moved nine times, sometimes across town, sometimes across the country. But it doesn't really matter how far you move, it is still awful. It's still incredibly stressful. And so Abraham has this stress of moving, but on top of that, he's moved from a relatively peaceful place to this place where there is a powerful king named Abimelech. And in Abraham's day, it's helpful for us to know that if a king wanted a woman, he would just take her. It didn't really matter if she was married or not. If she was married, 
easy enough. Just eliminate the husband and you take the wife. And so he has this stress of moving and then on top of it, the stress of possibly losing his life and or his wife. Now talk about moving literally directly into uncertainty. And in these kinds of situations, our natural reaction is to look for relief, isn't it? I mean, it's common in our American culture to try in the midst of our stresses to reduce the stress, to reduce the pain, to reduce the angst. How can we get relief and how can we get it fast? And it's not just American. Abraham is human. <laughs> he doesn't want to live with all of this stress and uncertainty. So he comes up with a plan, doesn't he? And he says, here's what we're going to do. Everywhere we go, you just tell everyone that you're my sister. Now, you may be wondering, why would that be helpful? Well, because if she is his sister, they would just take her and let him live. Nice, huh? And so Abraham comes up with this plan. A plan that will relieve his stress, create his own level of, un of certainty and control. But the reality is it's all based on assumptions, isn't it? I mean, the whole thing is based on huge assumptions. And we all tend to make assumptions. And they happen so quickly, don't they? Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book a number of years ago called Blink. And in it, he talks about our incredible cognitive ability that we have as humans to rapidly process people or a situation and then determine what course of action we're going to take. He refers to it as thin slicing. It's this ability, not of our conscious mind, but of our unconscious mind to find patterns, to look based on our previous experiences this, through these very narrow slices of information to determine how we're going to move forward. So we, can, we find that we can look at the tone of voice that's being used or body language or other information in this. And we've learned through experience, we don't need all of the information coming at us. We can focus in on just these thin slices. And then we move forward. Now, most of the time, this is an incredibly powerful ability that God has given humans, and it serves us very well. But there are those times, those other times, where that same ability, that same capacity of our unconscious mind can be hijacked. And that happens especially in times of stress, in times of uncertainty, times of fear. Right, times where we're really not sure what's going to happen next. And in those moments, we still thin slice the information, but the information that we focus on may not be the most helpful information, or even perhaps even worse, we'll just misinterpret the information that we're seeing. And you probably have done this. I know I have. Just one example, you may have received a text message, and a text message is the worst form of communication when there is any sense of uncertainty, isn't it? Because you find yourself going, well, wait a second, what was the tone of that? What do you mean you're, you're not coming? What, what, is, what is going on here? You're not talking to me? And that's just one of many moments of, of fear, of stress, where we thin slice, but we thin slice not very accurately. We're thin slicing based on some assumptions that come out of our fear, our uncertainty, and our anxiety. And in that space, we often assume the worst, don't we? <laughs> I won't make you raise your hand, but some of us are catastrophizers, aren't we? You know that term? Right, that, 
that the worst thing that could possibly happen is in fact going to happen. And as somebody told me last night, no, no, it's going to happen twice. Right? It's assumptions, isn't it? And Abraham makes huge assumptions in this passage. The first pa the assumption that he makes is this. Just because the king can take Sarah as his wife, does that mean he's going to? Well, not necessarily, does it? But the catastrophizer knows that he's going to do it. And, and Abraham had this first assumption, I mean, and it was rooted in some reality, right? We see in Scripture elsewhere that he says, you're a beautiful woman. So he has kind of good reason to have these assumptions, doesn't he? We all have good reasons for our assumptions, don't we? Well, they're my reasons, so they must be good, right? And so he makes this assumption, and that wasn't the only assumption he made. When he's in the conversation with the king later, and the king presses him, what's your reason for doing this? Why did you do these things to me? Abraham's really honest about it, isn't he? He says, well... I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me, and they will take my wife. Well, he assumes. He assumes there's no fear of God in this place, and if there was no fear of God, then clearly he wasn't safe because they were just going to do whatever they felt like. But is that how the story played out? Matter of fact, in the story, the only one who seems like he fears God is the king. Is Abimelech, not Abraham. Because God confronts Abimelech, and, and Abimelech's like, whoa, hold on a second. I, I had no idea. I did this with a clear conscience. If I had known, and God's like, yeah, I know. Which is why I kept you from sinning against me. I kept you from touching her. But now you know, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> and we see that he responds with fear. He gives Sarah back. He gives gifts to Abraham. He gives gifts to Sarah. Right? Abraham assumed that there was no fear, but he was wrong. And, and I'm wondering for you, in whatever the uncertainty that you're walking through right now, or if you're reflecting on other uncertainty that has come into your life, what assumptions are you making? What are the assumptions that may not in fact be true are informing your decision making? See, the assumptions that we make definitely affect the steps we take. And those steps can not just become steps, they easily become habits that are formed for when we face stress and uncertainty. We actually see this with Abraham. Like, because how does he deal with the stress and the uncertainty? Well, he makes this plan to tell everybody that Sarah is his sister. But did you know that this is not the first time Abraham has used this particular strategy? you go back to Genesis chapter 12, you learn of a time where there was famine in the land that Abraham and Sarah were living in, and so they actually moved down to Egypt. And on their way to Egypt, Abraham says to Sarah, Sarah, you're a beautiful woman, and so when the Egyptians see you, here's what's going to happen. They're just going to take you and kill me. So here's what you can do for me. Just tell them that you're my sister. Well, this sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like what we read this morning, doesn't it? It's because it's almost exactly what we read this morning. Right? Abraham had this old strategy, this old habit, this old plan, this old way of dealing with his stress and his fear and his uncertainty, trying to create his own certainty. This old plan of lying and deception 
that seems to now have become a habit. Proverbs 26, 11 reminds us that as a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. In our house, they seem to return to the cat litter box, but that's at least as disgusting. In Egypt, God basically does what he did in the passage we read today. Right? The Lord had inflicted Pharaoh's house with a serious disease, but the Pharaoh had realized that the disease was because he had taken Sarah as his wife, and so he's like, I don't need any of this drama in my life, and so he gives Sarah back, and he gives gifts, and he sends Abraham and Sarah away. And God bails them all out of this potential crisis. And you would think, having had that exact experience in the past, that Abraham would thin slice this current situation with Abimelech differently, wouldn't you? But he doesn't. Because our old habits die hard, don't they? Our old attempts to grasp for control and certainty in the midst of stress and uncertainty, those grasping that's based on our abilities and habits are so persistent. What are your habits? Which ones are you going back to? What are your habits that maybe you even kind of know, you know, these aren't really working? there's lots. You know, so many are reaching these days for substances to numb the pain and in the process just destroying lives and families. Some prefer the path of avoidance and denial because if you pretend it's not happening, it goes away, right? Right? Some end up in places of such despair that the pattern of negative self-talk has even become self-harm just trying for a moment to grasp for control, if only for a moment. And we know it's just for a moment, and yet we keep grasping because the fear and the stress and the uncertainty is so great. Some choose isolation. Others choose procrastination. Some are overworking. Some are fun and pleasure-seeking. Right? Some have grab their screen, are doom-scrolling, binge-watching, others are binge-eating, emotionally eating, others have become overly aggressive toward everyone, some are choosing pornography, some are choosing impulse spending, the list goes on and on and on. All the habits that we as humans go back to to try to get a little bit of control and feel a little bit of relief in the midst of the stress and the uncertainty. How are the habits working? Oh, yeah, and some use religion this way, too. Convincing ourselves that if we're good enough, we do enough, we give enough, we serve enough, we sing enough, we pray enough, we read the Bible enough, that that's going to be the thing. That's going to be what's going to give me control over the circumstances of my life because I deserve for things to work out for me. I deserve relief if I'm good enough. And Abraham justifies these old habits, doesn't he? I mean, in the conversation with the king, he, he says, besides, she really is my sister, well, half-sister, right? He dismisses his deception. He justifies his lying. He justifies his pattern of lack of faith in the God who promised him that he would bless him, protect him, provide for him, promised him that he would have a son with Sarah. This pattern, he denies it all. He takes no responsibility. It's okay, she's my sister. 
And we justify too, don't we? That's just the way I am. This is how I've been for forever. Right? Oh man, it's just, it's so overwhelming. It's too hard. It's too frustrating. It's not hurting anyone anyway. Besides, look at the habits I've, I have broken. Can you believe the way that they would treat me? It's so easy to justify our habits rather than recognize that it's the habits themselves in many cases that are tearing us apart rather than the uncertainty and the stress that we're facing. So Abraham denies all responsibility, but Abimelech recognizes his fault and his responsibility, even though he's the one that was probably justified in his actions. They lied to him, didn't they? He didn't have any idea, but he realizes that even though he had been deceived, he's still responsible for the choices that he's made and the damage that it's caused. And so he realizes he has to do something to make it right. Well, Abraham refuses to take any responsibility. In your uncertainty, are you taking responsibility? Or are things just happening to you? Are are all the problems really out there and they seem to just be coming at you? It's got to be somebody else's fault. Or is there a sense that, yes, things are happening to you because we all have things that are happening to us that are out of our control. But at the same time, do you have a sense that, you know what, I am responsible for how I respond to this. And the way I'm responding with these old habits, it's not working. Because certainty for Abraham wasn't in his habits of control-seeking. Certainty for him was in the God who was faithful when he was faithless. Because God was gracious to him even though he didn't ever take responsibility in the story, did he? He still saves Abraham, still protects him, even actually adds blessing to him, which that doesn't make any sense. He's lying, deceiving, he has no faith in this moment, and yet God blesses him with these gifts that come from Abimelech. Not because he was worthy of it, but because God was good and faithful to him. See, this is the hope for us too. In our stress and our uncertainty, that God is faithful. That when we're afraid, that when we make assumptions, even bad assumptions, that we use to form the habits of behavior and these patterns that aren't working and then justify them, when we're faithless, God is still faithful. This is part of what the writer of Hebrews was getting at in our first reading this morning where he says the gifts that come from God are for the descendants of Abraham. In other words, those children who, yes, have faith, but man, it's at times a wobbly faith, isn't it? These people who face all sorts of uncertainties, the greatest uncertainty, the writer of Hebrews said, being death itself. But we can face all uncertainty, even that uncertainty, because Jesus Christ faced uncertainty too. That he took on flesh, that he became, the Son of God became fully human in Jesus the Christ. And what that means is that he has faced the uncertainty that you and I have faced. He's faced the stressors. He's faced the fear. He's faced the same experiences of being out of control. He's faced the same temptation to form faithless habits Do you know that Jesus knows what you're going through? And he too suffered in his temptation. 
I know you're suffering. That's, that's why we give in to the temptation to these old habits because we're suffering and we want to relieve the pain. We want to find a path forward. And so Jesus knows what it is to suffer just like that. But where, as we give in to the habits, the choices, the assumptions, the justifications that help relieve our suffering, Jesus embraced the suffering. He embraced the reality of uncertainty, the greatest uncertainty of all, facing death itself on a cross, the loss of control, the loss of his life, because he was faithful. Even for us who are faithless, See, this is why we can face uncertainty and not give in to the old habits. Not just because Jesus is a good example, but because in his faithfulness to death, he rose again as well and promised to give you his Holy Spirit's presence, promises to give us his Holy Spirit so that he will, as the writer of Hebrews said, strengthen you in your temptation. See, it's his strength that's going to help us form new habits, which thank God because Man, habits are hard to form. But with the strength of Jesus Christ, you can find new habits to navigate the uncertainty and the stress and the fear. I think it begins with, with recognizing how you have responded to fear in the past. Can you see your old habits? Can you see what you've been reaching for? Can you see the assumptions that you've made? Can you see how you've justified a faithless living? It starts there and just acknowledging it, seeing it, bringing it out in the open so it can be examined. So you can look at your assumptions, not just the assumptions about people as you thin slice people and you thin slice situations, but your assumptions even about God. What assumptions about God are driving the way that you're navigating everyday life? Are the assumptions that say God loves me, that God's in control, that he has a good plan for me, or are they assumptions that if I'm not good enough, God's not going to provide a good path forward? Man, because God does love you. And that's what Jesus' suffering was about. He is for you. And so as you experience your temptation to grasp for control, to thin slice in ways that aren't helpful, a new habit of, of praying, not so that you can get control, but praying because you're out of control, asking for that help. So that Jesus himself, who promises to strengthen you, will come alongside you. He will strengthen you in the temptation, and he will give you a path forward right through the uncertainty. See, our certainty comes not from our ability to have control, but our ability to hold on to the one who has control for Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we examine our lives, we see so much of ourself in Abraham. We see the ways that we make assumptions about people, about situations, that we, and we get it wrong. We interpret badly, particularly in our fear. Lord God, we see that the habits, when we're honest, the habits that aren't leading to flourishing, aren't leading to certainty, but are just attempts to bring relief and get control. And we see how we have even approached you and our faith that way, trying to use our religion to get control. Lord God, all of those efforts are fleeting and yet we justify them. Lord God, show us clearly. Show us those, 
those patterns that aren't working so that we can begin to find the freedom that you have offered us through Jesus Christ. The freedom from the bondage to fear, the freedom from the bondage to our assumptions, the freedom from the bondage to our habits, the freedom from the bondage of self-justification and find the freedom of being truly loved by you who suffered for us, who, who loves us that much and who will strengthen us to find a way forward through the uncertainty of life. God, we ask now for that help. Trusting with the little faith that we can muster that you will indeed respond because you are faithful even when we are faithless. In Jesus' name.